All right. Well, it's good to be back. Missed you guys last week. Uh, we had a really good visit with the uh, with the Thunderbirds. They're doing well. God has provided them with an incredible place. It's a house that was built in the nineteen in nineteen hundred. It's a two story form house with huge windows, old wooden floors, and uh, and they got a and they got a place to rent, so they didn't have to buy it, which is was necessary. So God just really lined them up. And you look outside their kitchen window, and there's layers of Smoky Mountains from the. I mean, that you can see actually from the window. So y'all remember the Funderburks, right? The ones that sat up here and told a story after story about how God led them to places that were tough. Okay, well they didn't want you to know that they live in this beautiful farmhouse because it's not tough anymore. They don't know what to do with that. Uh, but they're doing great, and we had a great visit with them and uh, caught up with them and also got to see some of the colors and in the mountains and just uh, get a little bit of renewal and excitement about life again, uh, you know, life outside of Louisiana College, five classes in addition to this. So it's it's been a busy semester, but that was a good break for us. Uh, I did listen to Will's message on, on Monday, and, uh, and so I am aware of where we've been. It's interesting that... that uh, you know, the consistency with which God speaks to us as a body. I totally trust Will that God would speak to him what he needed to preach. But uh, interestingly enough, that was where I was going to go, was John chapter 21. And uh, and Russ uh, reinforced that at Life Group the, the Tuesday before last. Um, it was just to, hey, have you thought about preaching this passage? And I said, yes, I have, actually. So that was a good confirmation. And then Will called me in the middle of the week not having spoken to any of us and said and asked me said do you what do you think about John 21 I said hmm well other than the fact that Russ said it I think it's probably a pretty good probably might be a God idea you know so a uh, great great way to uh, continue this series and I think today will be the last the last message on Peter and this idea of abiding for us at the gathering place abiding is one of our distinctives abiding consists of what Hearing God, hearing God wills or knowing God's will, and then what? Obeying what he says. That's it. It's not complicated. But it is. it means everything. And through the process of abiding, we come to know God. The cool thing about this study, I think, and the thing I want to reemphasize today and kind of bring to closure, is that this time through for me, and I hope you guys have felt this and seen it. I know you have in life groups. We've talked about it. This has been kind of an overwhelming idea that we've gotten out of this text but uh but the idea that 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 jesus comes to us and it doesn't matter where we are it doesn't matter if we're paying attention not paying attention it doesn't matter if you happen to make it to church don't happen to make it to church or if you happen to if jesus is preaching right outside your door and you're busy doing other things like washing your nets uh and and you're not you're not your heart is not for him yet you're not driven yet by your by an internal desire to pursue him and to know what his will is and to do it that that doesn't stop jesus from coming to you as a matter of fact he came to to peter and peter was ultimately one of the elite 12 right peter was one of the ones that he chose to be his disciple all right we have mark we have some okay yeah we lost a child uh <laughs> Peter was one of the, ended up being one of the elite, even though he wasn't pursuing God, even though he was washing his nets and wasn't pursuing him. Jesus did what was necessary to grab Peter's heart. So what did he do? 
He got on Peter's boat. God set him up the night before by letting him fish all night and catching what? Absolutely nothing. So he's totally had done everything he could do in his own power, and he caught nothing. And it was, it's interesting that that's the way that, that God be, begins his relationship with Peter. Is he, Peter has nothing to offer. And Jesus comes to him and calls him and says, come follow me and I will make you into a fisher of men. And so he walks onto Peter's boat. He, he gives Peter his own personal command, which wasn't much, but it, was, it, was, it contradicted everything that Peter had, had thought as a fisherman. They fished all night and caught nothing. Jesus says, cast your net on the other side. He does. And he catches his great catch of fish so much that he's tearing his nets. He gets help from James and John to bring it in. And then he, when he comes to shore, we, we realize that Peter has had a heart change. Now, I didn't close this out two weeks ago. I forgot. But I told you there were two words in the text in Luke 5 that, that demonstrate a heart change for Peter. And this is significant because if you haven't had this heart change yet, then I know that God is coming to you. Part of it may be today, may be the day that he comes to you. And he's, and he's calling you to know him in a, in a deeper way. But he calls him master whenever Jesus says, cast your nets on the, on the other side of the boat. He says, we fished all night. Uh, master, we fished all night and caught nothing. But because you said it, I will. And that term, master, has this connotation to it. He's a person in leadership and authority who should be respected. All right? And that's definitely, we would agree that that's who Jesus is, right? God is that in our lives. He's a, he's a person of authority who should be respected. Unfortunately, most of us have grown up, and that's all we, that's all we know of God, is that he's a, he is a person of authority that should be respected. And our lives are full of should-bes and ought-to-bes and supposed-to-bes and fear in, in a, a kind of an awesome fear, fear type of respect rather than a... A, uh, a respect of love and appreciation for and a desire to obey because we love him and know him. We have this picture of God that he's going to zap us. We fear his anger and his wrath towards us. And that's kind of where Peter was. Because you said it, you're, you're the authority, I'll do it. But after Jesus tells Peter to, catch, to cast his nets and he obeys what Jesus says, he is abiding in Jesus and he catches this great fish, great catch of fish. God-exclusive activity happens. Something that could not have happened. Something that would never have happened. That Peter would accidentally miss fish. He catches this fish uh, at Jesus' command. And when he comes to the shore, he is blown away, not by the fish, but by the person. And he leaves his nets, and he leaves his fish, and he leaves his boats. And he goes to pursue Jesus because he's blown away by the person. And here's what he calls him. He says, he bows before Christ in repentance and calls him Lord. Lord. That's different. Lord is every bit of affection, every bit of heart that we can have towards God. It's seeing God as as our uh, heavenly father, as our loving uh, master, yes. One that gives us orders, yes. But as one that gives those commands and gives them with, with all the heart that a father could give to his children, that he gives us commands with intent. And we trust Lord. We trust our Lord. He is, he is the one that we give ourselves to, not just obey, but we give our lives to him. And you see the transition that happened in Peter's life through that one experience. 
And hopefully, all of us have had that. Now, I'm not talking about check yourself to see how you feel this morning, but I am asking you this. Have you been having experiences where Jesus has been giving you things to do and you've obeyed what he said, and because you saw who he was through that, you've fallen deeply in love with him? Has your heart been changed? Have you had that transition yet? It's pretty obvious to me most of the time when, when people have had that that experience where God came in and, and he spoke. You know, I look across the room and I think about a number of you when we moved to this location and we started this new, this new church, uh, your words that you got from God when you prayed and asked God, should I go, should I not go, and God gave you your, your word, you're, I could see a difference in your hearts when God spoke it. It lit you up when God spoke. When, God, when you knew what God's will was and you stepped out in it, it let you up. Some of you in your finances, God's been challenging you in that. And he's given you things to do with your money that have challenged you because you, you don't have enough money to take care of your needs, you don't think, logically. But yet God has challenged you beyond that. And you have been faithful in that. And you've seen God-exclusive activity where God comes in and money comes out of all kinds of places. Right? Some of you have had that in relationships where you've, you haven't been trusting God in relationships and you've prayed and you ask God instead of just acting in logic and going to a friend and saying, what would you do? You go to God and you, and you say, God, what should I do in this relationship? And God speaks it and you obey and all of a sudden God is not just an a answer to how to live life or rules or things you ought to do, but all of a sudden he becomes personal to you. And you realize he cares about you. He loves you. He's interested in the details of your life. And your heart gets involved. So that heart change happened for Peter. Now, last week, we found out that Peter's heart was not changed forever. Uh, And, you know, he had some moments where he backtracked, right? And and so uh, Peter, uh, Peter, what's the guy's name preached last week? Will? Uh, he did a great job last week of bringing out this point that, you know, Peter was bold after that. And Peter is one that always put his foot in his mouth. He was constantly saying things, speaking things that were really coming from uh, a mixture of his heart and his desire to be important and to be a person who was significant and to be that lead disciple who would do the things that nobody else would do and say the things that nobody else would say. He would be the first one out to shoot whenever Jesus was ready to do something. And, and it's obvious in the, in the final hours of Jesus' life that Peter thought Jesus was going to live and be a, a, a king on the earth. He still thought it. It didn't matter that Jesus said it multiple times. Let not your hearts be troubled. I'm going away. Okay, yeah, right. So what you're saying is we're going to fight when we get to the garden and they come to arrest you. We're going to cut off some ears and... And then you're going to win this battle, and then we're going to be by your side. He never heard any of that stuff. And it was obvious in his actions. And some of you have still, today, we talked about this in our, in our prayer time before, before we started worship rehearsal. Some of us are still in this, in this issue of we're, we're still trying to be somebody. We're still trying to do something good for Jesus. We're still trying to be a good person and a better Christian than we've ever been and a better Christian than the other people around us are. And we've, we've got this goal, and we're, we're trying to be something. And Peter was still trying to be something, and you can't have that mixture of trying to be something and also uh, be totally trusting in and surrender to the will of God. God wants us to be nothing. That's why Peter had to fish all night to have that first experience. But what happens in Peter's life? 
he starts having a few more experiences where, you know, they're out and Jesus asks the disciples, well, who do men say that I am? And some say you're this and that. And he said, well, then who do you say that I am? And Peter, I got this, boys, back off. You're the Christ, the son of the living God, right? Jesus, and Jesus applauds him. That's right, Peter. Flesh and blood didn't reveal that to you, though. My Father in heaven revealed that to you. Just in case you think that was you, it wasn't. That came from the Father, not from Peter. You're still nobody. But Peter didn't get all that. Matter of fact, in a few, few minutes later, he's telling Jesus that when Jesus is saying he's going to be crucified, he said, no, you're not. And Peter, Jesus tells Peter, get behind me, Satan. You're not feeling so bold anymore. That was another one of the times. I probably shouldn't have said that. Put my foot in my mouth again. You know, and, Pete, and Will talked last week about Peter going out on the water, walking, tell me to walk out on the water to you. Right? He's, the, he's the one always trying to be up front and do stuff. Cut off, cuts off the, the ear of the soldier in the, in the garden uh, at Jesus' arrest. He's, he's going to be out there. And that had to be broken. And so where did the breaking happen? It happened whenever Jesus was arrested, and he and and he's brought uh, before the the chief priests, and they had this monkey trial, and the Bible says they all scattered. But it said Peter, I think it's in Mark, but Peter followed at a distance. Peter followed at a distance. He's not out in front. He's not acting like he's still all that, but he's following at a distance. I think Peter still thinks something good's fixing to happen. Jesus is fixing to take these guys by storm, so he follows at a distance. And he's in the courtyard whenever Jesus is condemned. They're asking him, tell us the truth. Are you the Christ? And finally Jesus says, it is as you say. And you'll, I, I am the Christ. And so, and as soon as he said that, they blindfolded him, spat on him, they beat him and told him to prophesy who hit him. He said, what else do we need? And so he was condemned. And then Jesus had already told Peter he would deny him three times. And when he did deny him the third time, the Bible says that brokenness that needed to happen happened. It grieved him in his heart. He died. He died a death in that moment. This this death to self, this death to... I'm going to be somebody great for Jesus. He realized Jesus was going to die, and I'm nobody, and I'm a failure, and he had to get to that point. And some of us, even though we've gotten to that point in some areas of our life, like maybe in our fishing, in regard to our finances, in regard to our kids, whatever, our job, we still have not gotten there totally. And here's what I want to say to you today in, in, our, in reading our passage today. Something happened to, to Peter after Jesus was crucified and resurrected. Something happened that changed Peter forever. Jesus was not finished with Peter. He came to Peter on the beach. You heard that story last week. He, did, he created this beautiful picture, this beautiful scene where he reinstates Peter into the ministry. He says, Peter, remember, I called you. That hasn't changed. Now go and do the ministry I told you to do. Feed my sheep. Fish for men. Go do what I told you you were going to do. Because Satan had been whispering in Peter's ear, you're a failure, you're a failure, because he was, a, he was abiding, and then all of a sudden he wasn't abiding. And he felt like a failure, and some of you have been there, and I hope last week you dealt with that and settled it, that, that not abiding in some case in your life doesn't make you a failure with Christ, that Jesus comes right back to you, and he, pu- he pulls you back into the call that you have. You can't lose that. 
You can't lose Jesus by not abiding in him. He's coming to you. Matter of fact, he's still guiding you, even though you might not feel like it. Even though it might not seem like he's still with you, he is still guiding you and leading you. He led Peter to go fish again with the other disciples in order to set him up for this moment where he could remember his call. And he reinstates Peter. It's beautiful. So, so what effect did Jesus' death and resurrection and his dealing with Peter have? It had a, an eternal effect, a lasting effect. It had the kind of effect that we're looking for. When we talk about abiding, here's what we want to know. It is not something you get the first time you ever get it. If you, ever, if you ever obeyed Christ and he did some God-exclusive activity in your life and you go, wow, he was very personal. He spoke to me. I understood what he said. That was awesome. Uh, that's the beginning. There's going to be a lot of failure. Some of you will give up on that for a while. Matter of fact, um, I have great friends who have given up on it for a period of time. They are not pursuing God. They're not, they're not really asking God, what do you want from my life anymore? They're just kind of floating through life. But God's not done with them. There's a progression that happens. There's a, there is a, a, a point at which I believe that we will have a durable abiding, where our abiding becomes abiding. It's an abiding process. It's an abiding situation or characteristic. It doesn't go away. It's there, and it's very seldom that we ever walk away. But I believe for Peter, this is it. As we evaluate the things that were going on in Peter's life, there's something that happened here that made this, that made the rest of Peter's life completely different. And I think the secrets are in that, in that text. All right, so let's read some of that and look at it together. This is Acts chapter 2. So here's what happens. You know the story of Acts chapter 2. The Holy Spirit comes. The, the disciples are obeying what Jesus said. Okay, they're abiding in Jesus. And then the Holy Spirit comes and does Holy Spirit exclusive activity tongues of fire come down uh, a mighty rushing wind enters the room where the 150 or, or 120 are gathered uh, uh, tongues of fire fall on each one visible tongues of fire they can see it happening so they they recognize okay something's going on and the holy spirit begins to speak through them in languages that they don't understand all right all that's going on and so then the people are beginning to accuse them say well if something's going on here these guys must be drunk And here's what Peter does. Peter, who wouldn't say to a servant girl that he knew Jesus just a a few weeks before, is now doing this. Look at verse 14. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words, for these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sins, or your sons rather, and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men will see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and significant or magnificent day. 
And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me. For he, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One seek corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make, known, you will make me full of gladness with your presence. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried in his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would, uh, that he would set one of his descendants on the throne, he foresaw, and, uh, foresaw rather, and spoke about the resurrection of, of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. And when they had heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of, G- of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and they were added that day about 3,000 souls. All right, long passage of Scripture. First sermon of Peter after the crucifixion and resurrection of Christ. All right, and here's some things I want you to recognize that's different about Peter. Peter has something, this different power about him that's going on. There's a power in Peter's life that exists now that was not present prior to the crucifixion and resurrection of Christ. The crucifixion and resurrection of Christ changed everything for Peter. All of Peter's selfishness, all of Peter's boisterousness, all of Peter's desire to be somebody, all of Peter's... uh, hesitancy to speak once he thought there might be some persecution or death. So his, all of Peter's uh, concern about being uh, a man of uh, power and being, with, uh, being one of the sidekicks of, of the Messiah, our king, who would reign, all of that is changed. There's something different going on in Peter's life. The first thing is there's this demonstrated power in Peter's life that we see right away. It's a demonstrated power. It's The last scene that we see of Peter is this scene where Peter is humble on the beach 
but we know that he had already made this bold proclamation that even if everyone else died or forsook Jesus, that he would die for him. He made these bold, his last bold proclamation. Even if everybody else goes away, I'm still with you. Even if I have to die with you, I will not forsake you. And then all the rest said the same because that's what Peter was. He was that boisterous leader. And the rest of them said, yeah, what he said. I'm in on that. He made that bold proclamation, but we know that he failed. We know that he failed miserably. As a matter of fact, after Jesus', Jesus trial happened and Peter saw it, he wouldn't even say to a servant girl that he knew Jesus. And he denies him three times. All right? What happened to Peter? What happened to Peter? That was right after the, uh, uh, that was the night of Jesus' crucifixion. And then now, here we are at Pentecost, just 50 or so days later, and Peter is, is standing up before a crowd of people, of Jewish people, from every nation gathered in Jerusalem, in the place that they were scared to stay in anyway because they were still looking for Jesus' followers. And he's in Jerusalem, and he's not just, just speaking. He stands before the crowd and says the same thing that Jesus was crucified for. He said, this Jesus whom you crucified, God has made both Lord and Christ. Right? Right? And Jesus was crucified for saying he was the Christ. And Peter's here now, something's going on. And there's a demonstrated power. Listen, the reason why we are people of the cross and the resurrection of Christ, the reason we're all about Jesus Christ being crucified is so that our sins can be forgiven and wiped away and the power of sin can be defeated in our lives. We no longer have to walk in our sinful ways anymore. The the sin of pride can go away. Because Christ was crucified. The sin of selfishness can go away because Christ has been crucified. The sin of our own desire to have status and position can go away now because Christ was crucified. We had no power over sin until Jesus died. That's why we're people of the cross. The resonant resurrection of the cross is what brings life. It's what gave Peter purpose it's where peter found his purpose in life and his his life blood now was to do the will of the father to whatever the holy spirit would give him to to say or to do that he would do that and so we see a demonstrated power in peter's life peter in his testimony also says that this he defines this power he doesn't just demonstrate it but he defines it he defines where this power is coming from in verse uh, 33, he said, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. Peter is taking absolutely no credit for what is going on. The power that they're seeing in him is Jesus. It's the power that came because Christ was crucified and raised from the dead. Because of his resurrection from the dead and ultimately his ascension to the Father, the Holy Spirit came and filled those disciples. And Peter recognized and defines the kind of power they're seeing. This is not the only time that Peter does that, but he recognizes uh, in numerous cases that there's a power now going on in his life that was not there before. Peter recognizes who it comes from. Peter was very quick prior to the crucifixion and resurrection of Christ to take credit for everything that was going on. 
And I'm going to say this, we've talked enough about it in 1 Timothy, but I'm going to bring it up here because we need to deal with this and be done with it. If we're still taking credit for anything that God is doing in this church, that needs to die today. Today needs to be the day that you die to your own power, that you, uh, that you realize you are crucified with Christ and you don't have to be anybody anymore. It will free you up when you realize, I don't have to be anybody. I don't have to reach a certain level of spiritual maturity. That, that the Holy Spirit lives in you. All you got to do is yield to the Holy Spirit. Just, just ask the Holy Spirit what to do and obey what he says. And you will see a, a, a power that's present in your life that can only be defined one way. It's Christ. Henry Blackaby, in, in Experiencing God, said this. He said, the reason why the world has not seen Jesus is because we don't, try, we don't attempt anything that's God-sized. We only attempt what we think we can do. Peter is attempting nothing that he can do. It's so evident that, isn't that Peter that wouldn't even tell the servant girl that he knew Jesus? I'm sure the soldier's still around, right? And that little servant girl's still there. Say, wait a minute, I thought you didn't know him. And now something's going on in Peter. And Peter defines what it is. Man, I'm so desperate for the power of God to be displayed through our lives. Through this church, through this body, that God would do something that only he could do. And that we would be open to allowing him to continue to do that forever. The third thing that Peter tells them about this power is it's a distributed power. It's distributed. It always was planned. There had been a plan since before the foundation of the world that this power would be distributed uh, to people that would never have been seen with any kind of spiritual uh, effect or power in their life. Peter told them in verse 37 that when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the disciples or the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you. And ultimately, there were 3,000 souls in verse 40. 3,000 souls who prayed to receive Christ. It's distributed power. It was given out. It was, it, this power was given to, to, to servants. It was given to people that had, it was given to Gentiles. It was a power that was given to everybody. This, this life-changing power is not missed any person in this body, if you're a believer. And, and so Peter recognizes that. The power that he had, had acted on so much in his life had been his own power. It had been his own abilities. And, and there's nothing wrong with you being a, an outgoing or positive or upbeat or strong or intellectual person. There's nothing wrong with that. But when that intellect and that power, whatever power it might be in your life, is not submitted to Christ, when, when you haven't crucified that power with Christ on the cross, when you don't realize that that's gone and has no significance outside of the resurrecting, life-giving power that Jesus has, you're missing the point. Peter tried the whole, he lived with Jesus. He walked with Jesus every day. And the whole time that Jesus was alive, Peter was walking in his own power, in a mixture of his own power and, and the power of Christ and taking credit for things. Well, this is a, a, a distributed power. It's for everybody. Every person in here can have it. I love the fact that he brought out the fact that even servants, even the children that were, were even the unborn, the people, even us, this power would be distributed. 
and it would be distributed by the Holy Spirit. Again, all of that based on the resurrection and uh, the crucifixion and resurrection of Christ. Had that not happened, that power could not have been distributed. That's why Jesus says, one of the reasons he says, it's better for you that I go away so that my Holy Spirit can come and live inside of you and that power can be distributed and people can see me at every, through every person who lives and gives their life to me. And then the last thing I want to bring out about this one is what to me was the major point this week for me. That is that it was a durable power. It was a durable power. Y'all notice I got four D's today? You're welcome. That's almost like a real preacher. All right, Acts chapter 3, verse 11 through 16. Look at what it says. While he clung to Peter and John. Oh, let me give you a little, a little uh, precursor of what happens here. So right after uh, Pentecost it happens, uh, the people begin to, those 3,000 souls begin to gather in each other's homes and commit themselves to the apostles' teaching and to prayer and to fellowship and breaking of bread. And then they start selling their possessions and giving to each one as they have need. And God keeps adding daily to them the numbers of people that are being saved. Daily. We always talk about Pentecost when they spoke in tongues and people couldn't hear and then finally they hear and Peter stands up and speaks. We always talk about that because 3,000 people were saved. God was adding to their number daily those who were being saved. And then in this case, I think it's in chapter 3, the beginning, first part of chapter 3, there's a man who's begging at the gate of the temple. And Peter and John walk up to him, and, he's, and he begs for money. And Peter looks at him and says, silver and gold we don't have, but what we have we'll give to you. In the name of Jesus of Nazareth, stand up and walk. And he stands up and walks. Right, and as a result of that experience, everybody starts going crazy. The people in town start saying, wait a minute, now that's demonstrated power. That's, that's power that's been defined. And, they, and they, uh, the people are standing up and they're trying to give them credit for it. But remember, Peter is no longer about himself. Peter is no longer about uh, getting attention for himself. He knows where the power comes from. And look, he does it again. There's this, this durability to this kind of abiding once you've been through the process a number of times and you recognize and you finally come to the end of yourself and you die and you surrender and you, and you grieve and you, and you realize that it's all him and you desire that more than anything in the world, that there's a durability to that. We don't see Peter anymore. We see Jesus. Look at what Peter says. Even though he heals this guy, he's the one that tells him, get up and walk in the name of Jesus. And the people start gathering around, and they're all talking about this guy that got healed, and they're all giving Peter credit for it. And look what happens in verse 11 of chapter 3. While he clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called, Simon, uh, called Solomon's. And when Peter saw, saw it, he addressed the people. Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at this as though by our own power or piety we made him walk? The God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murder to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses and his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. 
and the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. So here he's, again, there's the durability that is abiding now. We don't see Peter abiding and then not abiding. We see Peter abiding. As a matter of fact, the rest of Peter's life, all the stories that we have about Peter in the book of Acts and his testimony in First and Second Peter is all about Peter remaining faithful to God. Now, did he have some down moments? I'm sure he did. He's human. But let me just tell you, Peter is a changed man. Because of Jesus has come to him continually. He came to him and he, when he called him. He came to him when he gave up the call. He, he restored him. He constantly comes to Peter and brings him ultimately to a point where, his, where God's power has some durability in Peter's life. Where God's power can be seen over and over again. One experience after another. In chapter 4. Verse 5, it says, On the next day, the rulers and elders and scribes gathered in Jerusalem with Annas, the high priest. They're still talking about this healing. Uh, and all who were of the high priestly family. And when they, when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, By what power and what name did you do this? And Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, filled with who? Yeah, you see where his power is coming from. He's been redefined. This is not Peter's power. It's the power of the Holy Spirit. Filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, if we are to examine, uh, we be examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him, this man is standing before you well. There's a durability to Peter's commitment. It doesn't matter now. It's not a servant girl that's accusing him. He's about to be arrested before this is over with. And by the way, he doesn't lose his faith when he gets arrested. He's ready to die with Christ. He's ready to die now. And while he's arrested and Peter and John are in prison as a result of this testimony of who Jesus was, 5,000 Men, not including women and children, were saved. While they were in prison. It's not Peter. It's not even the apostles. It's the power of the Holy Spirit moving through a life that ultimately shows the world who Jesus is. Everybody get that? Man, we got to get there. We got to get there. We got to let God... Get, have access more quickly in our lives. It's really all we can do. Just let him have access. We don't have any power over it. We can't pull ourselves up. We just need to die faster. You, you know, we, we need a, a suicide assistance spiritually, <laughs> right? That probably wasn't a good example, but we do. We need to die spiritually. We need to let Christ have his way in our lives. God has something he wants to do through this body and in this church. And he's going to do it. And that power that, 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 will, that will reveal Christ will be demonstrated. Once we, once we surrender our all to him, once we allow him to get us to that place and we quit fighting him in this and we die to ourselves, whatever it is, whether it's you're, you're, you want to be somebody, you, you, you want something out of life, there's something you're trying to build for yourself, all those things we've been fishing for in life, when we're done with that, when we're finally done with that, and there's no mixture of us and our will and our desire to be somebody and us being willing to just show Christ he's ready to do it.
He's ready right now to do that with his body. I'm ready for him to do it. So where does that come from? Where does that kind of durability and power come from? It seems almost like I'm preaching in a way that I'm trying to convince you to be better. But I'm not. What I'm trying to do is make you realize how good God is. How patient he is. How no matter how long we've been at this, he has not given up on us. That no matter how long we we continue to be at it, he will never give up on us. He will always come to us. He will always forgive us. He will always empower us because that is the message of the cross and resurrection of Christ. The message is this. I've already taken care of your sins so you don't have to live in it anymore. The power of sin has been canceled. The power that sin had over you has already been defeated. You don't have to do that anymore. I'm coming to you with enough power that you don't have to ever live by your own power anymore. You don't have to ever get credit You don't have to ever be approved of by anybody. You don't need anything in life. I'll provide that for you. You just do what I tell you to do and watch how awesome it is to walk with me. Sin's been defeated. We need to recognize that this morning. We need to embrace that this morning. We need to see how good God is. And and this morning, we're going to celebrate that together with, with the Lord's Supper. So we can do it privately. I'm just going to, while we're doing our, our closing worship song, I'm going to invite you to come and grab a cup and a, and a uh, wafer and take that back to your chair. Or you can kneel here at the altar if you like to, to, to just talk to God. But listen, but listen, don't make vain promises to God. He's not looking for you to say, oh, God, I promise I'm going to blah, blah, blah. He's not looking for that. Just come to him and say, God, you are so good. You're so patient with me. You constantly keep telling me that I need to die, and I hear it clearly from your word, and I see the result in Peter's life, and I want to be a different person. I want to be a different person, and, and whatever I can do to join you in that today, I'm, I'm coming for that. And when I drink this cup and I eat this bread, I know where the power comes from. It doesn't come from my ability to be good. It doesn't come from my ability to do better. It doesn't come from me being convicted and then pulling myself up. It comes from what you've already done for me. And I take this bread and I drink this cup saying, I want to see your power. I want to see the power of the death and resurrection of Christ exemplified in my life. I want that, God. Let God feel your heart this morning. Call him Lord today, okay, instead of master. Let, let that transition happen in your heart today. God wants to do that for us as a body. There's a whole host of people in this community that are sick and tired and dead and full of dead religion, and they're, they're weighted down. Jesus is saying to us and to them, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. The rest is just walk with him, just listen to him, just seek him, just search for him. Let him speak to you, obey what he says. It can't be any more complicated than that. All we need to be the different people that God would have us to be is just to embrace the cross. All right, so let's do that this morning. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that that this story of abiding is a story of the cross and the resurrection. I thank you that you didn't just give us 
the stories of Peter prior to uh, your resurrection and your death. But God, you gave us these stories, multiple stories about Peter after. And we see that he's different and we know why. It's not because Peter's a better person. He tried all he could. He had the personality and the the uh, charisma to, to be a person who was respected and and who would lead, but he didn't he didn't have the right stuff. The right stuff was he needed a, your power to be demonstrated in his life. And Father, you did that in him, and we pray for that today. We pray that we would have a demonstrated power. And that we would be careful to define where that comes from, God, when we see you. And, and, we, and there's no way we can take credit for, for the power that you, you uh, give us. Lord, I thank you that there's nobody here today that can't have that power. There's nobody here today in this room that you're not pursuing. There's nobody here today, Father, who is excluded from being your child and from walking with you and from having God-exclusive activity going on in their lives because your Holy Spirit has been freely distributed to all who believe. If there's any here today, God, that need to put their faith in you for the first time, I pray that they'll do that right now, that they'll just surrender their lives to you. And Father, for those of us who have been walking with you for a while, who have already experienced your distributed power in our lives, God, there needs to be a durability to that. And we know that you're the only one that can bring that. So we embrace the power that we have over sin as we take the bread and the cup today. We embrace that. We embrace that sin is defeated and and that you have conquered the grave. And we embrace the fact that that you sit at the right hand of the Father, which means everything that that we need is provided. We embrace the fact that we are your children, that we are brothers of Christ, sisters of Christ. And help us today, Lord, to to surrender totally. Help us to be grieved as much as we need to, God, to get to the end of our own efforts and striving and to just embrace the power of the cross today. Father, make this a time of healing, of change, I make this a time where we we deal honestly with you. I thank you for your love, God, for us, for meeting us where we are. Let your spirit fall on us today, God, as we deal with these things. In Jesus' name.